Okay, if you guys want to open back up to Matthew 6, um, that's where we're going we're gonna to start anyway um, this morning. You know, last time I spoke, we, we uh, looked at Daniel chapter 1 and how a child of God um, responds to pressures to change, basically. Um, how you can be in the world, you know, accepting those things that can change but not of the world, um, which means your identity and the things that are from God, we don't compromise on, uh, and how we can accomplish those things. Um, we saw that you know we're going to be different in many ways, but not in every way, and we need wisdom to know which things we need to take a stand on, things that we must be different on, and, and then those things that we can allow to change, um, again, so that we might have relationships with people, so we might identify with people or help people um, come to God. Um, you know, we're going to continue that general theme of children of God living in a strange place. Um, you know, if, if we're Christians and you know, we've been transferred into the kingdom of of Christ, then this really isn't our home, as we just sang. Um, this is a strange place. We're out of place. And it's not just because we have a different destination, but we have a different character. We have a different calling. And that's what we saw in Daniel uh, last time, was he was transferred over into this very strange kingdom, and he didn't fit in, and not just because of his background. He didn't fit in because of what God called him to be, and that's going to be true of us as well. Um, so today I want to talk about, um, you know, how does a child of God in this world, out of place, deal with crises in this world, you know, um, events or decisions or circumstances that are stressful, are anxious, um, are hard to deal with sometimes, um, and what we read in Matthew chapter 6 gives us the, the principle that we're supposed to adhere to, the teaching, and it sounds very plain. I mean, it's very straightforward. But implementing that is a whole um, additional level of maturity, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll look at Matthew 6 again here in verse, in verse 25. Jesus, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's speaking to a crowd here. <clears throat> he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, if there's anything I'm going to be anxious about in life, I would think those are the things to be anxious about. You know, Jesus, I would have expected him to say, don't be anxious about your job and don't be anxious about your family and don't be anxious about your relationships. But if you're hungry, yeah, you might worry about where you're going to get your food because you need that to survive. Um, and your clothing, yeah, you know, you need to be protected from the elements and the cold and exposure and things like that. So, you know, it's okay to worry about that too. <laughs> Those are the only two things he lists that he says don't be anxious about. I mean, these are the most basic things about living, physically living in this world that we need. I mean, other than air, right? No one's anxious about air. But you have to go acquire food and you have to go acquire clothing to survive. Um, and Jesus says, don't even worry about those things. Right? 
and he gives examples beginning in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So here we see the principle about how we deal with anxiety or worry. We don't really deal with it. We just avoid it. Um, he doesn't say, when you become anxious about food, do this. Or when you become anxious about clothing, do this. He just says, don't do that. Don't become anxious. Like I said, that's easy to say. Um, that's not necessarily easy to do. Um, and so what I mentioned earlier about being in crisis, I think that's a crisis. For the purpose of, of this morning, I'm going to define a crisis as just anxiety scaled up, exploded, blown up. Um, I'm not going to say that an earthquake is a crisis. I'm going to say an earthquake is an event. Right? The crisis is what we take that event in our mind and then do with it, how we respond to it, how it affects us. Right? That's when it becomes a crisis. Is, you know, does my world fall apart? Or you know, do I respond to this thing appropriately? Right? Um, so for the sake of just this morning, and I'm, I wouldn't argue that point with anyone, I'm just, but that's how I'm going to use the word crisis, is we've taken anxiety and it's just taken over. It's gotten out of hand. So let's look at an example of this, and it's again, it's going to be back in, in Daniel. If you want to turn back to Daniel chapter 2, I think that's where we're going to see an example of how a child of God responds to, acts, and even helps in times of crisis. I'll read the first... 16 verses, I think, of Daniel 2, just to set the context, and then we'll talk about some of the specifics. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. 
Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So there are a few things I want to notice about this example and how a child of God deals with crisis. Um, first, who is having the crisis and why? And I want to look at that. Who's really having a crisis? And what's the reason behind it? How does the child of God act in the situation? Right? What do they do? What do they say? How do they respond? How do they think? And then finally, how can the child of God help in a situation like this, in a crisis? So what is the crisis in this situation? It's not an earthquake. It's not a natural disaster. The crisis, well, it's not even the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, is it? That's not the crisis. The crisis is created in Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He is so distraught and so uncomfortable with what's happening that that's where the crisis really resides. And because he's king and he has the authority to, it affects a lot of people. And it may become a crisis for them, right? The wise men are about to be killed. Well, if you're, someone's coming after you to kill you, that might seem like a crisis. Right? His crisis has suddenly become your crisis. And that's really what people in authority do, is to get people motivated, right? Is if they're having a crisis, they pass that crisis on. And when their workers are having a crisis, well, then everybody's on the same page, right? Let's get this crisis solved. It's really just in your head. There's no real crisis here. Um, it's Nebuchadnezzar act, reacting emotionally, right? We saw that he was very, he was angry. He was very furious. It's a created circumstance. And really, I would, I would suggest to you that even when events, natural disasters do happen, those aren't necessarily created by human beings. But so much of the stress and the tension and the problems around them is created by human beings. Um, we don't just accept the fact that an event has happened and deal with what's happening around it. No, we, get, we go into this turmoil. We become furious. We become angry. We become distraught. It's really our reaction that creates a sense of crisis. So I wanted to define that because it's important to notice also where the crisis is not. Daniel is not having a crisis. Did you notice that? Did, did you notice um, that the people who are distraught and the people who are anxious are really the Chaldeans, the magicians? You know, they're responding to the king saying, this is impossible, you're asking a thing that's too hard. No king ever asked this. It doesn't make sense. Man can't give you this answer. Only gods can give you this answer. 
They're trying to defend themselves in their position, right? And Nebuchadnezzar's in a crisis. But Daniel just really wants to figure out how to solve this thing. So I, the first point I think we need to remember is that for, for children of God, there's really no reason for ever, us ever to be in a crisis. We might be in the circumstances of very bad things that are happening, but we have to remember that we belong to God, the creator of the universe. We're his possession. And while bad things happen, maybe to our bodies even, or around us, because of the world in which we live, it's a fallen world. There's diseases and there's evil things that happen in this world. There's really no reason for us to ever be in a crisis like Nebuchadnezzar was in. Because we belong to God. And He protects us. He keeps us. Nothing and no one can snatch us from His hand. And I think as, as we go forward and look more at, at Daniel's response, we'll see if that really seemed to be Daniel's attitude. Um, he didn't go running through the streets of Babylon screaming to all the wise men to run from the city and get out of there because you know, Nebuchadnezzar's gone crazy and he's lost his mind. You know? um, he was calm. He was not in crisis. And I think for us, that's something for us to remember. We need to think of ourselves as outside the crisis, looking in. And I think that will help us, help calm us. Right? Have the right attitude. Um, a phrase I use sometimes with small things and big things is to help calm myself is I say to myself sometimes out loud I'm still going to heaven and really I, I can't say I've ever faced anything really big in my life I mean I have all my limbs you know I've I've never had a natural disaster happen anywhere I lived I've never lost a home. I mean, even, you know, just material things. I've, I've, but, you know, in small things and in big things, I, I need to keep reminding myself, I'm still going to heaven. And, and hopefully that if, like Sewell, Sewell Hall likes to say sometimes, eventually there's going to be a very catastrophic thing that happens in my family. If, if everyone continues on, it ha it's going to happen. Right? There's going to be health loss or something. Well, I need to have this attitude when those things happen too. But I'm still going to heaven. Um, another example is Katie Stevenson at Embry Hills as well. Um, her favorite saying is, I'm not going to let the devil steal my joy or take away my joy. And, that, and, and if you know her history and her, the life that she's lived and the things that she has faced and the pain she has gone through with family and friends. For her to say, I'm not going to let the devil take away my joy. I mean, that's, that's when it's real. That's when someone is, not me when I, you know, can't go to Chick-fil-A because it's closed on Sunday, right? That's my crisis. <laughs> I mean, she's faced real serious crises that will shape people's faith. And she says, I'm not going to let the devil take away my joy. I mean, we need to have that kind of long-term attitude that will help remove ourselves from a crisis so that we can deal with it. Because we're still going to heaven. We're still gods. Okay, so what was the reaction? Well, before we get there, 
I want to read a, a passage in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there. We'll just read a couple verses and then we'll go get back to Daniel. This is part of having that long, that long-term outlook, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? If we have that kind of outlook and we remind ourselves, what kind of person should I be because all of this around me is going to be destroyed? I think that will help us in times of crisis. Because what, what most people and even ourselves we get wrapped up into is we define the crisis as some material loss. Well, that material loss was going to be burned up anyway. We don't own anything. Whatever we think we own is going to be burned up. Um, so we need to have this mindset in the future of we are we belong to God and that's where we're going home. Okay, so now let's think about the reaction. We know Daniel didn't get caught up in the crisis. If you look at verse fourteen, um, you know God preserved these words for a reason. He gives us adjectives, not just subjects and verbs, right? Um, then Daniel replied, didn't just say Daniel replied to Arioch, right? Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. And look in verse 15. He asked a logical question. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? He didn't question it and say, has Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind? You know, this is crazy. You know this is crazy. Why don't you just go deal with him? You know, he, he said, all right. Why is it so urgent? He's trying to get to the heart of the matter. What's really going on here? You know, yeah, he's angry. He's done, he's done something rash, but you know why? What 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 is it? You can't ask those questions if you've lost your head. And you're running around in circles because the king has commanded your death. Right? We, we we're just not going to be capable of that. So the reaction that we need to have needs to be one of calmness. Right? Accept the fact that a decree's been made. You know, let that go. That's an event. That's a fact. It's happened. You know, an earthquake has happened. Okay. Right? An earthquake's happened. Let's deal with the situation. Right? Um, not create a crisis in our own minds, like what's happening in Babylon. Um, Instead, he actually determines he wants to play a role in this crisis. Did you notice that? Look in, look in verse 16. Daniel went in. This is went in to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. A child of God in the midst of crisis, a crisis situation, puts himself on the line for those having the crisis. You could argue that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't deserve this mercy, doesn't deserve this help. He's not 
faithful to God. Whatever reason you want to come up with for not helping Nebuchadnezzar, we could come up with many. I mean, I can excuse myself from lots of things if I want to, right? Maybe not truthfully, but in my own mind. Daniel says, no, there are other people involved here. He's put out a decree to kill all the wise men. And I'm going to put myself on the line and tell the king that I'm going to do this thing. Because what can he do to me? He's already commanded my death. What's he going to do, kill me again because I couldn't do it, right? No, I'm going to put myself on the line because, well, we learned in chapter 1, Daniel had this gift of being able to interpret dreams. But Daniel doesn't know it. We'll see that in the next few verses. He doesn't yet know it, or he would have told the king. So I think, again, that's a cue for us to take. In times of crisis, are we willing to put ourselves on the line in the crisis situation to help someone out who, for any other reason we can think of, they might not deserve our help. But it might ease the crisis. Sacrificing ourselves for other people is really what it comes down to. So, so what exactly did Daniel do? First, he provided reassurance to the king. That's the first thing he did. When he investigated and figured out what's going on, he said, all right, now I know what's going on. The king's had a dream. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put myself on the line. I'm going to go in and tell the king it's on me. Buy some time, point of time, wait until I come back. The second thing he does is he goes to God in prayer along with his brethren. And we haven't read this yet, but if you look in verse 17, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known. He got other believers, other faithful brethren involved in this. He made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them, I love how this is phrased, and I don't know how it's phrased here, told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. I love how that's phrased. You know, go to God and ask for his mercy that he will reveal this. Because it, that's really what it is. He doesn't, there's nothing binding God, forcing him to do this. It's just out of his mercy that he's going to grant it. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So first, put yourself on the line. Second, go to God in prayer with others who are faithful. And then, obviously, the third thing that he did is he thanked God for God's answer. I mean, we're not given any kind of details, elaborate details. It says it came to him in a vision of the night. But before the crisis is even averted or before it's over, this is, what, this is what fascinated me about this. In my mind, I, I get the vision and I go to Nebuchadnezzar and when everything's calm, I thank God that everything's calm. <laughs> Daniel did it the right way. He didn't thank God that everything's calm and the crisis is over. He thanked God that God answered his prayer. You know, it's, 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 all, it's, a, it's, a, it's a subtle difference of saying, thank you, God, that I'm not hungry, and thank you, God, for the food you provided. Do you, do you see? Thank you, God, that I'm comfortable 
rather than thank you God for answering my prayer about clothing or my power bill. You, you, you see what I'm saying? There's a subtle difference. Daniel, the crisis may not even have been averted at this point. He doesn't really know for sure. He knows he has the interpretation. He knows he understands the dream. And he thanks God for that because that's what he asked for. I don't do that enough. I wait for the crisis to be over and everything calm. And then I say, oh, okay, yeah, God, God did something. Thank you for that calmness and dealing with the crisis. You know, I don't thank God up front and say, wow, you know, thank you for providing me with a house that I can... I mean, let's say there was a natural disaster and my house wasn't hurt, right? But my neighbors were. Well, I would normally thank God that they got out of my house and they're in their own house and their house was built and thank you, God, that that all worked out. Rather than saying, thank you, God, that you provided me a house to give shelter to my neighbors. See, in the midst of crisis, we don't see the solutions God has provided. Or I don't. I, I'm not going to speak for you. I don't often enough see the solution God has provided in the midst of the crisis. Because I allow myself to get wrapped up in it. And it's, it's because of a lack of faith. Right? Daniel didn't have that attitude. He saw the solution and he thanked God at that moment. Okay, what was the solution? <clears throat> How did Daniel really help in this situation? Look in verses 26 through 30. We're not going to read all of this chapter, obviously. There's a lot of detail. But in, in verse 26, Daniel has gone back to the king and told him, I've got the answer. Or he told Arioch, and Arioch allowed him to go in. So in verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Yes, Daniel provided the king what he needed. Later on, as you, as you go on, he tells him the details of the dream, which is what the king was demanding, and the interpretation of the dream. So he helped in that sense. But really the way he helped was he told the king in the midst of crisis, the solution is not in them. The solution is not even in me, and I'm about to tell you what you want. The solution is in God. And again, this is something I fail at all the time. I just want to solve the problem and move on to the next problem. Because my job, that's how my job is, that's how my life is, that's what my brain thinks. It's like, I've got a list of problems, let's knock them off. Let's get the list as short as possible before I go to bed tonight, because it's going to grow overnight. Now I'm going to have to knock them off the next day. Right? That's just, that's my life. That's how I approach life. Daniel says right off the bat, hey, I'm not solving your problem. God has given this blessing to me. He's solving your problem. That's really what's happening here. If my neighbor's house gets destroyed, that's what I need to tell them. 
Not, hey, come on over, but hey, God, God spared my house for you. God spared my house for you. Or maybe even God spared a house for you, and it happens to be mine. I mean, how, I, mean I don't think of things that way when I'm helping people, right? It's more that God is helping those people. And the reason He's helping them is because He's blessed me with those things. That's exactly what, That is really the way Daniel helps in a time of crisis. It's not just helping, giving the king what he wanted. It's not just, oh, this is what you want? All right, here, take it. Crisis averted. No, he's, he's actually t- laying a foundation for Nebuchadnezzar and all of us to understand. The truth is, the solution is not in him. And that's a message we need to be able to take to people. Yes, I mean, it, it, it's not to say, don't send money to the flood victims because, you know, the solution's not in them. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, why do these people have money to send? God bless them. Why do I have time to use to volunteer? God bless me that I don't have to work 18 hours a day to provide food for myself. It's not that we don't act because we're just going to wait for God to act miraculously. God's already acted. He's already acted through us. We're supposed to be the blessing. And Daniel took the time to communicate that fact because he understood that. That's something that we need to take, I think, in how we respond to crises. Whether we're impacted by the crisis or we see someone in crisis is first... God has a solution for this. That's the primary message. And then we help them with that solution. And it may be provided through us and it may not. But that truth needs to be expressed. Okay, so finally, the conclusion of the matter was good, acceptable, is a happy ending to the account, right? You know, the king didn't kill Daniel and his friends. We don't know how many of those wise men they got to before Daniel got there, but the crisis was averted. Um, look in verse 46 of the chapter. We'll read this final passage and then we'll be done with the lesson. Daniel 2, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. You have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. The real conclusion, or I guess the end of the crisis, isn't just that people didn't die. The end of the crisis, because Daniel approached it the way a child of God should, is that the king glorified God. And the king knew something more about God after than he did before. He knew that God was the God of gods, that he was a revealer of mysteries, that he was Lord of kings. 
And I think being a king, he lumped himself in that and said, your God is Lord of kings. If we approach crises, whether they're small crises in people's minds or it's a major crisis in a region of a country or something, if we approach crises this way as children of God, we can have that salt influence, that light influence that Jesus talked about. Right? When a light comes into a dark place or salt preserves the things that it's applied to. We can, act, we can have that influence on people's lives. Not so that we're lifted up and we're glorified, but exactly what happened here. God's character is known to people, and He's magnified and glorified. And hopefully, um, you can argue whether this happened with Nebuchadnezzar or not. I wouldn't debate it, but hopefully those people are saved. They come to a full knowledge of God, and they seek Him out for salvation. That's all I have this morning. Thanks for your time.